Isn't it good to be in church? Isn't it good to be in church? We just went through prayer service, and there's a lot of people who'd rather be here than where they are. Right, Sister Brandy? Definitely rather be here than where they are. Isn't it good to be in church? Amen. Amen. So many times we compare our present with what we would rather be doing and fail to compare to what we'd rather not be doing, right? You know, we, we sit there and go, man, it gets cold. I'd rather be in Florida. Or you go down the car or you go down the, uh, the, the, the road and they says, my other car is a sailboat. I'd rather be on the beach. But it's also good to understand it says, I'd rather be here than in the hospital. I'd rather be here than in an abusive relationship. I'd rather be here than in a grave somewhere. I am so glad that I'm able to be in church tonight. Amen? Amen. Let's just give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. He's worthy. Amen. Uh, there's just a couple other announcements want to make sure everybody's aware of and we don't forget. We always like to over-announce our upcoming business meeting uh, uh, on February the 12th, we'll be having that that Sunday morning. Don't forget about that. So if you consider yourself a member here, I uh, definitely encourage you to be here that Sunday morning. Immediately following service, we'll move into our, our business meeting. Uh, so we're excited about that, excited what God is doing and all the plans we have uh, for the building and for the, the business of the church and all the things that go with it. But I'm also excited what God is doing right here in our services. Amen. Amen. We are going to go ahead and continue through the Exploring God's Word. Um, this is a, a, a series of lessons that Brother White has that I think we're going to continue. Honestly, I didn't look. I think there's like 12 lessons, 12 lessons, lessons. I, I got to remember my grammar, but 12 lessons. Uh, so this is lesson two, and uh, we're going to jump right into it. And if you remember where we ended last week, uh, and for those of you who don't remember, uh, it is available out both on um, Facebook. You should be able to find that video. And then on iTunes, we do have our, our um, podcast out there that you can go listen to that. Uh, but where we ended up last week was Adam and Eve were being driven from the garden. And that was considered the fall, like the fall of man, the first sin, and, and what happened there. And tonight we're going to start talking from the fall and to the flood. So if you can go ahead and go to this next slide, we're going to spend quite a bit of time here. Now, I know that you can't read all the things that are up there, uh, but if you can't, get really, really close. So if you're sitting in the back, uh, move forward more, you might be able to read it. Uh, but then after after service, you can get those study guides from Pastor, and it will have all this information. Um, but Adam and Eve's life outside of the garden was very different than what their life was in the garden. In their new state of consciousness of uh, good and evil, their their life outside of the garden was garden was very different. Existence was was not the same as it was before. Previously, I. Uh, in, in the peace of the garden, the first man and woman had been ch charged with dressing and, and keeping paradise, naming the animals, and, and it was a very nice existence. Imagine what it would have been like living in the Garden of Eden with no war, right? No arguments, and then he made Eve. No, I'm kidding. No arguments, right? No uh, work, no bills. Come on now. No thorns, 
no thistles, nothing. It was perfection. It was paradise. It was heaven on earth. But now Adam was, was eking out his life by the sweat of his brow, by battling unendingly against weeds, against thorns, against thistles, against rocks. And I'm sure if it was anything like uh, uh, we have around here, when he dug in the ground, he hit clay. Uh, and it's not fun to dig through clay and hitting roots and everything else. It wasn't easy for him anymore. It wasn't paradise anymore. It had struggle and it had problems. It had tribulations and it had barriers. Uh, and that's really what was the difference is when sin was introduced into the life or into the world, things changed. Eve discovered the truth of God's word when he said, I'm going to greatly multiply your sorrow and you shall, when you shall bring forth children. The first child that Eve brought into the world was a son by the name of Cain. Uh, she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And then she gave birth to another son, Abel. Um, and the, these brothers that were born were very different one from another, uh, which happens very often in families. And, and uh, Abel was a shepherd or a keeper of sheep. He, he tended to the livestock. He was out in the, in the fields, and he took care of them and, and watched over them. But it says Cain was a tiller of the ground, which means he was basically a farmer. He did a lot of that hard work that we talked about. We, he, he, he did a lot of that things that, um, that uh, Adam now understood because Adam, like I said, he was, he, he, before, he, he remembered what it was like before. He remembered the paradise. He remembered the relaxation. He remembered the ease and the peace. But Adam was working like a dog and he had to earn everything he got and understand that this wasn't what God intended. Every time you get up and go to work, that's not what God intended for us. I know that kind of stinks, doesn't it? All right? How many years, Uncle Wayne, did you work? How many miles did you drive? That wasn't God's intention. His intention was peace. His intention was paradise. His intention was uh, uh, that we lived in a place like that, and that's why we have grace, that unmerited. They had to earn everything now. They had to work for it before it was just given to them. That's how we have grace, because grace is, I'm just going to give you the salvation and the peace and everything that you can't earn, that you didn't earn. Uh, that's why we're trying to get back into this heaven. That's why we're trying to get back to to where, where, we're, uh, where we are at peace, where everything is just perfect, but it's not going to be on this world. It's going to be in the new heaven, in the new earth. But these brothers, uh, or Eve had sorrow in, in, in childbirth, and these brothers were very different. One watched after the animals, and the other uh, watched after the crops and tilled the ground and did the work that, um, that, that needed to be done. And, but the one thing that we understand is that it's obvious that Adam and Eve still taught their sons about God and who he was, his existence, and the need to worship him and to offer sacrifices to him. You see, um, even though Adam and Eve sinned and were punished by God, they still taught their children about who he was. And it must have been in a way that how it was, it must have been a, a positive way because as we're going to read through here, Cain and Abel worshipped 
God through the giving of sacrifice or the offering of sacrifice. You don't do that to a God that you hate. Because what they understand is when we look, when we look at the Bible, when we look at the scriptures, it says God punished Adam and Eve. Really, he just made them accountable, held them accountable for their actions. It wasn't a punishment. It was just you did an action, you have consequences, and we're going to follow through on them. Very similar to what we do with our kids, right? He looked at the tree of the, good, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, and he says, if you eat of it, you will die. It was very simple. What did they do? They ate of it. So he says, you're going to be cast out, and you will die. Right? He was just holding them accountable. Adam and Eve must have realized this because they didn't get hurt. They didn't get injured. They didn't get uh, upset or angry at God because they understood they did something wrong. They had a repentant heart. Uh, even though they sinned and were punished and were really just held accountable for their actions, they still taught their children about who he was and how important worship truly was. See, so many times people get in a bad spot or hurt or discouraged with their walk with God or, 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 or they get hurt by somebody who, who goes to church with them, a, a church member, or, or someone gets offended in church, and, and the immediate reaction is they turn their back on God. God, how could you do this to me? God, yeah, I made, I made a mistake, but man, you, you, let me, you let me have the consequences. And I'm going to leave God, and I'm going to leave church, and, and, and they, they make the mistake, and they blame it on God. But you see, it, it affects not only them, but affects the entire family too. See, Adam and Eve could have turned their back and ran away from God and never talked to him again, and it would have affected Cain and Abel, and as we'll read, Seth and Enoch and Noah, and it went down the line. Because, but because they, turned, they still turned towards God, it allowed their family to still know that he is God, that he still needs to be worshipped. We need to be sure that we never turn our backs our God. It's if not for our own souls only, but for the souls of our families. Yeah, I can get hurt. Yeah, I can get offended. Yeah, bad things can happen to me. I can make mistakes and the consequences are going to come. If I go out and shoot somebody, guess what? I'm going to go to jail. That's not because God hates me. It's because I did something wrong. I just got to be held uh, accountable for my actions. If I go out and do something wrong, I got to be held accountable. That's not God's fault. I can't turn away from God because my kids are watching. I can still say, yeah, I didn't do the right thing. But God is still God. He still needs to be worshipped. And that's what Adam and Eve still did, obviously, because uh, Cain and Abel both brought uh, a, uh, an offering to God. Cain brought the fruit of the ground as an offering, and Abel brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel's offering, but did not accept the, uh, the offering of Cain. And this disturbed Cain, and he became very angry. And the Lord said unto you, Why are you so angry? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, if you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. And all, and, and unto you shall all, oh, shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. <clears throat> 
In God's mercy and willingness to forgive Cain's error, the Lord appealed to him. He told him that his offering could be accepted as well uh, as, as that of Abel if he too would do the right thing. The only thing that would prevent Cain from doing the right thing would be sin. Uh, a man once asked in a kind way, what is your trouble or what kind of trouble are you having in your life? And he answered right away, I have no trouble, sir, just myself. The biggest thing that gets between you and acceptance and favor with God is you. Your reactions, how you react to issues and situations in your life, even things that you don't think are fair, the way you react is the thing that's going to separate you between you and God. See, the deepest and most dangerous troubles do not come from without, but from within. The enemy had entered through a gate and had been open uh, from within. Cain's problem was not able. Cain's problem was with himself. Jesus said it this way in the book of Matthew. Don't you yet understand? He says, what enters in at the mouth goes into the belly and it's cast out into the draught. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and it's that what defiles the man. It's not the stuff that goes in because we live in a world that's going to feed you and, and, and plague your mind, your, 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 your eyes, your ears, everything, all your senses. Things are going to come in. If we were defiled by just the stuff that came in, we could never walk out of our house. And even some of us couldn't even walk in our house. Come on now. Right? Because it's everywhere. He says that's not what defiles. It's the stuff that comes out. He is, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile man. Are, are defile a man. It's not the stuff that goes in; it's the stuff that comes out. It's how we react to the world around us that's going to cause us problems, and that's really what happened with Cain here. See. What was really wrong with Cain's offering? One difference is that while Abel had brought a blood sacrifice, sacrifice, Cain had brought an offering of fruit of the ground. And from the very first, God's plan called for a blood sacrifice. And in the Garden of Eden, if you remember, God uh, uh, killed animals so that in order to cover up the nakedness of Adam and Eve, it was the first sacrifice to cover up the sin of human, right? It needed blood. In other words, for the sins to be covered, blood had to be shed. Jesus Christ, as we know, is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the reason God chose a blood sacrifice is because the price or the wages of sin is what? Death. Death has to happen for sin to be paid for. Without the shedding of blood, in Hebrews it says, sins cannot be remitted. So Adam must have related this knowledge to his sons or Abel would not have known what to bring. Why in the world would Abel have killed one of his prized firstborn sheep if he didn't know that was the requirement of, of a sacrifice to give to God? Uh, he must have known what to bring. We do, not, we do know that Cain brought an improper sacrifice. Early in Scripture, we see that sincerity alone does not put a person in the right standing with God. Cain had the right intentions. He wanted to do the right thing. 
He just didn't. He didn't bring the right thing. He didn't obey God. He didn't have the shedding of blood. Sincerity alone is not enough to get right standing with God. The one thing God will honor is obedient faith. It's not enough to do what we think is right or the best we know how. We must do what God commands. It's not up to us. It's up to Him. We don't get to write our own Bible. The Bible's already written. We've got to do what the Scripture says. Abel obeyed God out of faith. And in Hebrews it says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and um, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and, and by it uh, he being dead yet speaketh. Uh, we've got to make sure that whatever we see in the Word of God is what we're doing. It's not enough just to say, yeah, I hear it, but not a doer. I mean, look what it says in James. Be ye not doers of the Word, or I'm sorry, be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If we just listen and say, yeah, I, I, this is what I want to do, it doesn't work. I've got to actually do what God says. Amen? Amen. So sadly, Cain did not accept, uh, or yeah, did not accept God's offer to try again. God gave him a choice. He looked at him and says, "I cannot accept your offering. I can't accept your sacrifice because it doesn't cover the sin. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't cover anything because there is no blood. Yeah, it's 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 a good gift. It's a wonderful gift, but it's not the right thing to come before God." He says, I'm going to give you a chance to do it again. God had every right to strike him dead right there, to cast him out. You didn't do what I asked you to do. I'm going to cast you out. You can't can't do anything else. But instead, we know the story. Cain decided to react and say, I'm going to displace my anger with myself. I'm going to say I'm angry at God, but actually show that it's jealousy towards Abel And he went and killed his brother Abel. See, the Lord who sees and knows all things went to Cain and asked him, Where is Abel, your brother? And we know the line that Cain said. What did he say? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain did his second sin. He lied. He killed his brother, and then he lied about it. Then God pronounced the penalty uh, for Cain's sin. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, remember what Cain's job was, what his skill was. What was his skill? A tiller of the ground. This is what he did. That's why he brought the fruits and the veggies and whatever else he brought. But God looked at him and said, the thing that you do every single day when you till the ground, it will not yield unto you her strength. It's not going to be successful. It's going to be harder than even what it was before. When you used to get big cabbages, you're going to get little Brussels sprouts. When you used to get good whole crops, it's going to be uh, feeble and weak crops. 
And he says, a fugitive and a vagabond you will be in the earth. Cain replied, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from your face shall I be hid, and I will be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that finds me will slay me. They're going to kill me, everybody. And the Lord answered and said, Whoever slays or kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And then the Lord set a mark on Cain uh, to prevent anyone who found him from killing him. Cain's punishment was more than he could bear. He would rather had died than to go through the punishment that God had put upon him. It was worse for him to live with his sin and his guilt than to die. Think about that. He says, this is more than I can bear to live with this. He says, I'm going to go out and people are just going to kill me. He says, ho, 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 ho. God said, no. That's the easy way out. He says, you're going to live with it. And nobody's going to be allowed to touch you. It was worse for him to live with that sin, that guilt, and that shame. And if you think about it, it's the same with us when we sin. It's worse to live with that sin and that guilt and that shame. We become miserable within ourselves. It's hard. Our conscience get the best of us. It starts to be the thing that, that we dwell on when we're by ourselves, when we're trying to go to sleep. It's in our minds. It's in our hearts. It bothers us. It steals time. It steals our, our emotions. We start developing anxiety, and we start developing fear. What if somebody finds out what I did? And it becomes a torment for us. And we say, I would rather just die than to live with this guilt any longer. And that's exactly what we have to do to get rid of it. We have to die out to our flesh. It has to be killed. And that is through repentance. We have to die out to the old man for, for, so we can be made whole. We have to repent. We have to get rid of it so that that shame and that guilt and everything that goes along with it can be removed from us. Cain didn't have that option. He says, the only way I can get rid of this is if I die. But he didn't have the spiritual death. We have that opportunity that says, you know what? Yeah, I've done things wrong. Yeah, I, I know I've messed up. Yeah, I've hurt people and I've hurt family and I've hurt this and I've done that. And it, man, if people even knew half of the stuff that I've done, my goodness, they would never look at me the same way again. But if I can just die out to myself and say, God, I'm sorry and I'm never going to do this stuff again and I'm going to confess my sins and I'm going to repent and I, I'm going to do my best. God, the Bible says, is faithful and just to forgive. And it can turn your whole life around. As a result of his sins of murder and refusal to obey God, uh, Cain left the Lord's presence and went to live in the lonely land of Nod on the east of Eden. And there we basically lose sight of what happened to Cain. But that wasn't the last of the lineage of Adam and Eve. They had more children 
And, um, but it was not until she gave birth to a son uh, that they named Seth that Eve said, For God has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. It was in the days of Seth, who was evidently a godly man, with a desire to serve God as Abel had, that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The, this is when we start finding the lineage up, and we're going to get to know in a bit, but the lineage, lineage of people who decided to actually actively walk and, and uh, seek the face of God, men who walked with God. These are men who went and said, you know what? I'm going to do my best and faithfully obey the word of the Lord. I'm going to sacrifice the right way. I'm going to worship God the right way. I'm going to repent. I'm going to make sure I live by the statutes that God had laid forth, and I'm going to do what the word of the, of the Lord says. Seth was the first who says that he walked with God. And then the next one, one of the most interesting men probably who lived in the time or, or, or who lived in the time period covered in the book of Genesis was a man by the name of Enoch. He loved God and was obedient. And the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Um, Hebrews 11.5 offers a further information on this unusual event. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him before his, for before his, transla- his translation... Uh, he had his testimony that pleased God. Uh, this has been a, a, a huge topic if you talk to a lot of people of really what happened to Aunt Enoch. But the Bible is very clear about it that he did not taste death. He was translated, meaning that he went from this world to wherever God is without going through uh, death. Um, I don't know what that means. I've never done that. Um, I hope maybe we do get to do that through the rapture, right? Maybe that's how we get to do that. But the, what is clear is the reason why this happened to Enoch was because of his relationship with God. You see, one of the things that we can take through, through these few scriptures about him is that God rewards those who seek after him. Now, that doesn't mean if you have a good relationship with God, you're going to be translated and you're, you know, you're going to go to heaven tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock. You know, that, that's not necessarily what it means. And if you don't, that doesn't mean you have a bad relationship with God. What I'm saying is, is that God rewards us wherever we are because of our relationship. We call those rewards blessings, right? We call them, uh, you know, the righteous, the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. Those are the things that God does for us that we don't deserve. But because of our relationship, he wants to, to make things work out for us. Um, I mean, I can go through all this, but I mean, there, there's a scripture that says we have a good father, right? And a good father knows how to good, give good gifts. If you ask for a, a bread, is he going to give you a stone? If you ask, you know, we, we know these scriptures. Think about what you do for your own kids. I love my kids. I, I mean, I, I love them more than I thought I could love anything or anybody. They are just awesome, awesome kids. And, and Everly, I'm telling you, she's like, I don't know what we would have done without her, even though she was our surprise kid. I mean, I don't know what I would do without her. But we've got, we've got Ethan. He's our oldest, right? And, you know, he is 16 now, which means everything, um, what's the word I'm looking for, starts to get, yeah, expensive. <laughs> he, 
He's not asking for matchbox cars anymore. He's asking for real cars. <laughs> right? He's not asking for, you know, G.I. Joe. We're talking about where he's going to go to college. Okay? He's getting to that, that stage, and things are getting very expensive. He's at, he didn't ask to go over to a friend's house. He asked the other day, can I go to Disney World? Right? I mean, these aren't small things. And I look at them, and we're going, how can we make this happen? Why? Because we love our son, and we want him to have good things. And if we're able to do it, we're going to, we're going to try to make it work, right? How much more does God want to do for us? Think about that. God loves us. We are his prize, we are his peculiar people. That means special, right? We're the holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are the ones that he died for, that he loves. How much more better gifts would he want to give us? Let me add just a little bit to the top of this. How much better gifts is he able to give us? We got an extra car at our house and it's a 12-year-old car that needs some work because that's what we could afford. God has no limits. What could he get for us? God wants to do right things, and he wants us to have good things. And our relationship is a part of being able to have those blessings. Noah in the days of, of Enoch, uh, or I'm sorry, in the days of Enoch's great-grandson, Noah, God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Think about how, how bad the world is today, right? We look at the news, and by the way, we're only getting a fraction of what's actually going on if you watch the news. But if you look around and actually see what's happening, we're not too far from what we're about to describe, all right? It says the thoughts of men were continuously wicked. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I read a, 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 just the a title of a news article today that a bill went through Congress today. Luckily, if my math is right, it did not pass. But what's disturbing is the amount of votes. So there's 435 representatives in the House of Representatives, and a bill was presented, and 210 voted for this bill, almost half, representing the country of the United States. And what the bill was is they voted in favor of if a baby survives an abortion, that the doctors would not be allowed to, to uh, provide care for that child. In other words, if that baby survived an abortion, they want that doctor to sit that baby down and just let it cry and die. That's what they voted for. Folks, we are living in a world that's full of wickedness continually. When this isn't something that people just talk about in back alleys or in, in the third world, this is in the United States Congress. And almost half of the people said, that's a good idea. Let the baby die. Folks, 
we are getting very close to what Noah experienced. They were so wicked and lawless that God was grieved for even making them. And he said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have even made them. That's what God thought. My Lord, what does he think about us right now? However, there was one man, the Bible says, who found grace in the eyes of God. Noah. While others thought continually about evil things and practiced all kinds of wickedness, Noah believed in God and obeyed him. And Hebrews eleven seven puts it this way, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to, to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. What did Abel, Seth, and Noah all have in common? It was that obedient faith. They believed God and obeyed him. From the beginning, faith has been the requirement to serve God, that obedience to God. In fact, in Hebrews it says, without faith, what? It is impossible to please him. You can't do it. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, that he's a real being. He is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith and obedience uh, was, is required. We have to have that faith. Uh, while God made a way of escape, uh, for, for Noah, he required obedient faith on Noah's part. God gave Noah specific instructions on how the ark was to be built. Think about this. If Noah wasn't obediently faithful, yeah, it's the second one, wasn't obediently faithful, then he could not have given him the instructions for the ark. If he gave these same instructions to Cain, what would have happened? Cain would have built it his own way. He would have changed some things. Something wouldn't have fit. Maybe it wouldn't have floated. Maybe it's something, a problem would have happened. But he found somebody who was obedient and faithful, who says, God, I'm going to do exactly what you say and not change a thing about it. And that's what saved him. He, re- he required the obedient faith, giving specific instructions. God decided the type of wood, the size, um, the number of doors, the number of floors. Uh, the Lord even told him how many animals to take of, uh, into the ark. He gave him very specific instructions on everything that had to happen, and he knew that Noah would follow them to the T. What if he decided to do his own uh, his, uh, things his own way? What if he decided to use a different type of wood or, or change the detail? His family would have perished in the flood along with the rest of the sinful, disobedient humanity. But, uh, but and God has never spared those who were disobedient to his word. I mean, think of what he, uh, what he did to, um, who was it that killed, that killed Saul, right? He says, you weren't supposed to do that. So he perished. I mean, it, it's, it, he never rewards the disobedient. 
He's never spared those who were disobedient. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, the first human couple had to leave the beautiful garden. Because of Cain's sin, he set a mark onto him and banished him. Because of the sinfulness of the whole human race, the whole world except Noah and his family were destroyed. And as God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. You see, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Evidently, uh, Noah not only prepared for his family, but warned others as well of, uh, of the impending judgment and their need to repent and obey. His message went unheeded, uh, however, but God in his long suffering was waiting for humankind to repent. The end result was by faith, Noah being warned of God, uh, of things uh, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to save in his house, the home um, in saving his own house. Think about it. Noah's faith saved his family. Don't think you're doing this just for you. If you are, that's okay. But there's people around you depending on you. He saved his house through his faith. The home is still the place to start the devotional life before God and it's still important to preserve godly life within the family. It starts at home. God is an awesome God. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He, he's, he's omnipotent. He's a great majestic being that has created everything that ever was. and ever. He's all of that. But He's also your personal Savior. And wants a personal relationship. And because of Noah's personal relationship, he not only saved himself, but his whole family. And really, if you look at it, all of mankind. The place of safety. One week before the flood, God led Noah and his family into the ark. The Lord directed the animals in. He shut them in. And Noah was 600 years old. If you're younger than Noah, you're still okay, folks. Anybody over 600? It may feel like you're over 600 sometimes. <laughs> the rain began to fall. The fountains of the deep were broken up steadily. The depth of the water increased for 40 days. The water continued to cover the mountains for another 110 days. And at the end of 150 days from the beginning of the flood, the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. Two and a half months later, the tops of other mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window. We know the story how he sent out the raven and the dove, and the dove found no place to land and returned to the ark. And after seven days, uh, he sent out another dove. And when it returned, the bird had an olive leaf in his mouth. And finally, after an additional seven days, Noah sent forth the dove again, and it never returned, knowing that it found a place to reside and the waters were receding. So after a year and 17 days, this wasn't a one and done thing. We say he was on the ark for 40 days. We're talking over a year. God told Noah to get together with his family and to leave the ark. He stayed in that ark for over a year. Think about that. One of the first things he did upon leaving the ark was to do exactly what he was supposed to do. He built an ark, had a sacrifice to worship the Lord. And the Lord looked at him and said, I'm going to reward and accept this. He says, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smote 
uh, anymore. Every living thing as I have done, while the earth remaineth day and night, uh, shall not cease. This was not the end of God's communication with Noah, though. Uh, as he commanded the first man and woman, God told Noah and his family to multiply, to fill the earth. And uh, from that time um, forward, the animals are going to fear the humans, and we were to use them as food. Um, God would also institute human government by providing uh, and, and providing laws that would, that would have capital punishment for, for severe crimes like murder. Uh, and to know in his sons, he looked at him and says, Behold, I establish my covenant or my promise or my contract with you and your seed and with every living creature that is with you. Um, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more flood to destroy the earth. And he said, this is a token of the covenant that I made with you and every living creature for the perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a token of a covenant between uh, me and the earth. He gave them a promise, and we know that today as the rainbow. So regardless of whoever else or what other, any other group wants to uh, uh, say that the rainbow is their symbol, understand that it is God's symbol, and it is a promise that he would not destroy us again. And our last slide here, and I think we're going to, I think we're going to make it here tonight. Um, Today we look into the sky and see the rainbow. We remember that it is God's token of his promise and he will never destroy the earth by water again. The earth will one day face judgment though, but in a different manner. Uh, it is revealed in Second Peter that it says the scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that, was, that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Judgment is coming upon the wicked and the ungodly. And though the agent uh, God uses will not be water, it's going to be just as devastating and just as bad as those who have refused, on those who refuse to obey God. Just think about what I mentioned of as, and we're going to get into this in a second, but as the days of Noah were, right? When we start thinking about the things that are going on today, do we think God's judgment is going to be any less, less than what he did before? Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love to use that scripture when we say God blessed them back then. He's blessing today, and he'll maintain blessing us in the future. But that also means God's judgment is the same as it was back then, as it is today, as it will be at the end. The great thing about it is, is that we have grace. We have hope. We have the ability to escape the judgment through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So the days before the flood, the, the life went on as usual. Um, the day before the judgment looked like any other day. There was no advanced um, uh, 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 warning other than Noah preaching the impending um, 
uh, a, a doom that was about to happen. He preached the judgment, but what was the reaction of the sinful world? It's the same reaction that the same message receives today. Oh, I've heard that about my whole life. I don't think there ever will be a judgment day. Things will always go on as they've always been. We've been waiting for God's return for so long. It's never going to happen. I've heard this ever since I was born and my parents before them and their parents before them that Jesus is coming back. And guess what? He ain't here yet. So what makes me think he's going to come tomorrow? And all I can say is that just means we're one day closer. They were saying the exact same things. No, it hasn't rained yet. Noah, you've been building this for how long? Boy, you are a 600-year-old man. You're old. You're senile. Got a little bit of dementia on you. How many people have been called crazy when you're saying God's coming back? People trade their eternal souls for these temporal pleasures and they just think it's just going to be okay because they don't realize that it's true. They didn't know. They knew not. They didn't have the faith, and it all came from not having the relationship that Noah had with God. The, ter- the parallel between no- the day of Noah and our generation is further marked by the extreme wickedness common to both times. Second Timothy clearly describes our generation and declares these characteristics to be the signs of the last days. Um, Just as surely as the flood came on the unsuspecting populace in the days of Noah, um, who had taken advantage of, of um, of all those who had not taken advantage of God's way of escape, so is the judgment of God coming upon the generation of his last days. There will be no advance warning, and his exact time is coming. Jesus said, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not even the angels in heaven, but God only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And we know these scriptures in Matthew. Um, that was in Matthew 24 and 36. We jump down just a couple verses. I'm going to read through these quickly. It says, For as in the days <clears throat> that were before the flow, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Sound familiar? I was watching a, a thing the other day, and I saw a young lady getting married to a swimming pool. Yes. She got special permission from the local magistrate, because I think it was in, in a different country, and she was marrying a swimming pool named Colin. Marrying and giving and marrying. And, and the biggest conversation between her and her fiancé was kids. She wanted kids and he didn't want kids. Marrying and giving in marriage when marriage really means nothing anymore. Verse 39 it says, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. Then shall two be in the field. One will be taken. The other one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. The one will be taken. The other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not the hour your Lord doth come. But know this, if the good man of the house had known in the watch the thief would come, he would have watched. He would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready for such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man comes. 
You see, if we're going to be anything like Noah, we have to be like him in this spot. If the days are like Noah, we need to be like Noah. The one thing that Noah did was prepared. He prepared. Noah was perhaps a strange-looking figure laboring for many years over an unusual vessel, talking about an impending flood and this, this drop from, of, from the sky that was going to happen. No doubt he was the subject of many jokes and many, many light-hearted laughter, and I'm not going to be disingenuous to say that I probably wouldn't have participated in all those jokes. Think about it. Never rained before, and this guy's talking about water falling from the sky. Sure, Noah. How many years have you been saying that, buddy? Okay. But when the flood came, the laughter stopped. When the flood came, Noah, who had obeyed God, was on the inside of the ark looking while the scoffers and their believers suffered a penalty of their sins. I am positive this did not make Noah feel good. So many people say, well, he was right. He should feel vindicated. He should feel... Think about standing on the ark of all the people that you were preaching to. Noah loved these people. Otherwise, he would have just kept his mouth shut. It was his friends. It was his neighbors. It was the people he bought his bread and his meat from. It was the people that came to his kids' birthday parties. And as he stood up on that ark, he saw them start to go underwater, start to drown. His friends beaten on the side. It was not a good day for Noah. But he watched as the wages of sin was paid with their death. It's going to be the same at the return of the Lord. Those who had spurned God's claims on their life, who rejected opportunities to serve Him, will receive the condemnation and sorrow and pain. Those who were willing to obey the voice of God and make ready and make the preparations will be ushered into everlasting joy. This is why I am confident that God says, I'm taking you from this place. And you're going to a place where there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. That you won't be, because it would be terrifying to see the judgment that's going to come on the world. As Jesus said, whoever comes after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, let him follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake uh, and for the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he came, when he comes in glory of the Father and with his holy angels. Be ready. How do you, how do you counteract unknown events? By being prepared. Right? Why do you always have an extra fuse in that box downstairs, Brother White? Because you never know when we're going to blow one. You always are prepared. We can stand tonight in conclusion. We need to remain ready.